Welcome back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Roberta Angela. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be tuning into. Communication and soft skills are crucial for your career growth and leadership development. We are currently looking for professionals or entrepreneurs who would be willing to discuss their communication challenges on this show. All the details of booking a spot with me are found on the show notes. And by the end of this episode, please log on to Apple and Spotify and leave us a rating and a review. Now let's get communicating. Exciting news. In this episode, join the Industry Icon Live event happening next week, starting on the 19th of February to the 23rd of February, midday Eastern time, midday Eastern time. Do not miss out. Get your ticket. It's a free event. So please get your free ticket for the Industry Icon Live event where Deirdre and many other industry icons will be sharing amazing tips, strategies, and tools in order for you to not only grow, but transform your life, your business, and your podcasting business. Now let's get communicating with Deidre Shien all the way from New York, but she's an Australian by origin. She's joining us today as someone who would help us with so much when it comes to podcasting and repurposing your content. She's the CEO and founder of Capture, and she's here to talk about how you can literally make your life easier as an entrepreneur, as a content creator, and so much more. And before I go any further, please help me welcome her to the show. Hi, Deidre. Hello, Roberta. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited that you're here. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I think we um, just before you were like, you know what, let me record this. We were actually having a conversation and I was like, do you want the short version or the super long version? We love long versions, well, <laughs> personally, especially. Okay, cool. Well, feel free. Yes. Yeah, for sure. By way of background, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm Aussie, grew up in Australia. I'm Asian by ethnicity and my parents actually moved to Australia as first migrants, kind of during the, the big immigration influx that Australia had. And, you know, with that comes a lot of like expectations, I would say. They moved to Australia because they wanted to give my brother and I, you know, better life, better opportunities, a better education, all of that. And so I was always kind of raised to be like, got to work hard and it's got to be all about the effort that you put in. And, you know, I was meant to become a doctor and, and all of that. Or engineer or black sheep of the family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I was, I'm going to say like, I feel like I became a black sheep, even though I went in, I, instead of going into medicine, I actually studied law, which people are like, really, that makes you the black sheep of the family. <laughs> you know how yeah. I know I was in South Korea for about a decade teaching English. So I know Korean parent expectations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, that's just what happens. Um, but I say all that because it kind of like had this path that I was going to follow, you know, it was, I did study law and even though I, I didn't enjoy it. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to go into that, but I knew that I was going to go into corporate in some way. I ended up going, getting into studying my career in an investment bank in Australia. It's called Macquarie Bank, which is the biggest investment bank in Australia. Yeah. And, um, I had this view in my mind that I was going to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, do all of that. And 
I had like my quarter life crisis and realized that climbing the ladder was actually not something I wanted to do because, you know, I was actually really fortunate. I was in this, I was put on this project where I had pretty big visibility to all the way up to the CEO. And when I was in those rooms, I saw kind of who you had to become to make it. And I didn't really want to lose myself in that and so how I was kind of all the way you're so rich and interpreted yeah I was like how early 20s old were you when you that is amazing because a lot of us come to that realization much later in life yeah After you want the climb you climb you climb you climb and, you, and then in your 40s you think I'm not sure if I like my life in your 20s you came to that yeah realization. yeah it was yeah, I don't, I don't know how that happened, but I just, I saw people who were in their forties, like, you know, as I said, they were pretty senior people mm. in that room. And I think it's because like, I got firsthand visibility to, you know, all the politicking that happens, all the back channeling, all the things that I was just like, even at that age, I was, I, was, I don't want to become this person um, mm. who has to do all, all this. And yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. And I didn't quit at that. Like I was still like, you know, plodding along, but in my, the back of my mind, I was like, okay, we'll have to figure this out. Like, what does that mean? And at the same time, my then boyfriend, now husband, funny enough, he was studying medicine. He's not Asian, oh. but uh, he was like, <laughs> he was studying medicine. And um, so he, he was very welcome into the family. Yeah. I, I okay. His path is acceptable. Yeah. I think he did it mostly because he wanted to, you know, be welcomed into the family. <laughs> so, <laughs> unfortunately, what that meant was that he, was hating it like he wasn't enjoying it um he didn't like being in hospital all of that and so we were both were at this stage of our lives where we were like oh my gosh what's what does this mean like what's next for us we had also just moved out together and he started cooking more and he started baking and he just loved the process and he would always be working to perfect I had this favorite dessert it it's essentially a, a chocolate fondant like a chocolate lava cake oh and God. he would what like he would be working on on this dessert to perfect it for us just through that process we're like why don't we give opening up a dessert bar a shot you know it wasn't really a big thing back in Sydney and I love my desserts and I knew that people who there were more and more people who wanted somewhere to go that wasn't a bar you know that Mm. like after a movie and things like that so we kind of decided to give it a shot and we opened up it's called it was called the chalk pot um, we opened up a dessert bar and we actually grew that to five locations in wow. total in Sydney. And we also, um, during that journey, also opened a burger restaurant and we had two um, of those locations. So that happened. And then the end of 2018, we found out that one of our store managers, and he was actually the store manager of our busiest store, we found out that for years he had been stealing from the what? store. And it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like it was in the six oh, figures. No. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a Quick lot of question. money. So that means you never audited over the years? What was going on? Well, it was just never something that came to mind. Like we never went into it thinking that an employee would steal from us, to be honest. Just not even thinking or suspecting anything, but just the idea of, you know, when you do taxes at the end of the year, you declare that okay, this store made this much revenue. Yeah. So there was a work? way that he was gaming our point of sale system so that it was just not even tracked. Oh my um, God. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't until we realized that it was happening that we figured out how he was gaming it and we were able to figure out how much he mm. was taking from the store. But like, it wasn't a place that we 
you know, without going into the details of how point of sale systems and stuff work, but it wasn't even an area that we would have gone into unless this happened. Like, yeah, so it didn't come up in any order so because it wasn't, it wasn't even something that was reportable, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that all happened. And from that experience, like I was definitely like, well, it was great. And, you know, we had a lot of fun, but to be honest, hospitality wasn't really something that I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. Okay. It seems to be a theme of, you know, my life of just doing things and realizing that they're not, it's not the thing that this I want to be doing. not me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At the same time, I was actually working, I was exploring this fashion technology business with another co-founder, um, a really good friend of mine who I had actually met in corporate in, at Macquarie Bank. Um, her name's Bonna and we were we were exploring this, yeah, this, this different, it was kind of a way to bring AI and styling and shops and, and things together. Again, it was a pretty new concept in Australia. It was around about the time when Stitch Fix was, and those kind of services were really becoming known. And so that was kind of the idea that we were exploring. Now, the problem with Australia is that it's a great place to incubate something, but there's no big market there so we knew at some stage that we would have to move either to like North America or to Asia to really explore any of these ideas that we had and so when that happened at the end of 2018 you know it was kind of like this (laughs) coming together of all these different paths you know like that happened and I was in this frame of mind of like well hospitality isn't the thing that I want to be doing we were exploring this fashion technology idea and getting to the point with our mentors to be like, okay, we're going to have to make a decision as to the next step as to where we want to take this thing. And so that was all happening. And I was like, well, you know what, like what better place to explore the coming together of fashion technology than New York city. And so that's where we made the move. The <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was like, whatever, let's just do it. Like, what do we have to lose? So we kind of like spent a good six months systemizing absolutely everything in the stores because we actually still had them. We were still managing them remotely when we made the move to New York. And we made the move in mid-2019, which, you know, is perfect timing because it was just before COVID. But like it was... It was coming. Yeah, it was coming. Yeah. (laughs) And it was actually a really, really great time because we spent the rest of 2019 really hitting the ground like our hypothesis was that users would either be college students or young professionals, you know, on Wall Street. So we literally went to like NYU campus, Columbia campus. We knew some young professionals anyway, and they just like started introducing us to their colleagues and to their friends. And we just like really went deep into testing this idea out. And what we found was that while there was a problem, it just wasn't a big enough problem that people were willing to break their habits for right now. So we essentially failed the idea at the end of 2019. Um, okay, let's just recap. When you founded the fashion technology AI, what did you think initially was the problem? And now you say you realize that it wasn't big enough. Yeah, so... The problems that we generally end up solving for are problems that we have ourselves. So for me, I was like, I don't really enjoy shopping, which I know sounds strange as like a female, but I just, I find it, (laughs) I find it really overwhelming. Like I just don't really enjoy the process of shopping. And so I was kind of trying to figure out like, how can I solve this issue of like knowing my particular style and the things that I was shopping for, whether, you know, in my past life, that might've been a corporate thing or whether it was for events or whatever it was. Um, How do I make this a really, really easy process for me and then therefore for other women? And so that was kind of the problem that was like based on someone's 
style personality based on you know what it is that they are actually looking to dress for how can we help that shopping process but also and then how do we help with the styling process as well so that was kind of like the problem that we were we were looking to to solve for you know even you're a bit where you're like I love shopping I love doing my own styling I love you know like for some people it's a problem but even for them it's not really a huge problem because they have ways to get around it like they might have friends who they just lean on to help do that for them or with them even on a day-to-day basis they have shortcuts that they take to be like okay I kind of know what's in my wardrobe and this is just like the outfit together yeah they just you know they have other ways and it's really hard to break someone's habit unless it's like a really really like painful acute issue that they're dealing with and so that was what we were up against and rather than continuing to sink more time and money into it because you know we didn't really have a huge runway I mean we were completely bootstrapped we just decided to call it quits and you know the go, reason go I ask thing. is a lot of the time you work with coaches consultants and they say I don't know my potential clients pain points or is this really a problem for them or I know what the problem is but I'm just not messaging it the Mm. way they say it to themselves yes so in the online business space especially that's always been a huge pain point again Mm -hmm. yeah that's why I asked you to verify because a lot of the time they think oh if I have this problem does that mean everybody else has it yeah you know to be honest I've fell into that trap time and time again, even as someone who has, you know, done the entrepreneurship, you know, many times over, but it's not surprising. Like it's, it's a trap that we all fall into. As I said, I fell into that trap again. So fast forward anyway, I failed that. Um, The good thing is that at the same time that we were talking to potential end customers, we were also talking to some brands and boutiques that was going to be on like the other side of our platform. You know, every time we spoke to them and we really delved into what problem they were facing or that they had, it was all about acquisition. Time and again, it was like, I just, we just need more people we need to acquire. And so we actually went back to them when we decided to fail the technology idea. We went back to them and were just like, hey, why don't we help you with acquisition? And so we ended up falling into somewhat like an agency business, helping these brands and boutiques with their digital marketing. And then that's when COVID hit for everyone, put a bit of a spanner in the works. And for us, it actually made us think about how we make the transition into becoming more of an online business. And that is when we went into coaching ourselves. So we went into coaching e-commerce, other e-commerce brands with their digital marketing. So essentially transitioning our agency business into a coaching one. And that was when I started, we started our first podcast. It was kind of through that process. It was through a few things. It was through that process of figuring out how it was that we had to market a podcast because unfortunately creating content is not content marketing because we have to actually market our content. Um, And I figured that out. That was happening. And on the other hand as well, because I was coaching e-commerce business owners, a lot of times, you know, they go into e-commerce because A, they love the product, obviously, that they're creating, but also B, a lot of times they don't actually want to be the face of their business. They want to hide behind their product. And the more that I got talking to them, I was like, well, you kind of can't because especially when you're just starting, the only differentiator that you have in the market versus an Amazon or like anyone else out there is you. You are literally the only thing that differentiates you from any other brand out there. And so I was like, you have to bring your stories to life. And so when they were like, okay, 
I get it, but how? I, I just don't know how. That was actually how the first iteration of Capture came about. And the first iteration of Capture was very, very rudimentary. Like it did not have any AI or anything. It was very rules-based. But what it did was it would take people through how to tell their story. So it would actually prompt them. We actually had an early user describe it as a combination of like Mad Libs and uh, and like journaling. It was kind of like we would we would prompt them through how, you know, them telling their stories. And then our software just through some rules would actually convert that into a bank of social media captions and emails. And so that was the first iteration of Capture. And when we were working on it and we were like doing some beta testing and, you know, getting some people on it and stuff, I got carried away as a lot of us entrepreneurs do. And I fell into the trap again. The trap that I fell into was like, well, this is amazing. It's going to literally help every entrepreneur. I can't wait for all entrepreneurs to get their hands on. Um, this was like late 2021 that mm-hmm. this was happening. And so then we started to market it. I was like, why is this not getting any traction? If you're an entrepreneur, you maybe struggle with telling your stories on social media, you know, capture is for you. But it was really struggling to get cut through you know, back to what you were saying about people being like, well, it's just my messaging. It's just something. That was literally what was going through. I was like, it's just, it's our messaging. It must be our messaging. There's something off here. And so I spoke to our coach and I was like, yeah, this is just going to be a really quick five minute thing. Can you just help us with our messaging here? And, you know, 45 minutes later, (laughs) he's like totally like breaking us down because he's like, it is not a messaging problem. It's actually an audience problem. We were doing that thing again as entrepreneurs where we're like, we get really excited about the thing that, and we believe so much in what we're doing that it's like, we want to be able to help everyone with this. And then he's like, everyone is not an audience. And I was like, okay, well, entrepreneurs, he's like, entrepreneurs is not an audience I was like, they okay, don't well, feel each, I, uh, each and every one of everyone yeah. feels like you're not talking to them specifically exactly exactly <laughs> and so he his challenge to us was like really think about who makes the most sense for you to be serving because you might have listened to that story and you might have been like well you were coaching e-commerce people like wouldn't it just make sense to keep focusing on e-commerce people the problem was that there was a little bit of a barrier because we had to convince them first that they had to tell their stories. And then it was like, hey, use Capture. So when we were talking to our coach, he was like, well, you definitely don't want to be doing any convincing because that's a lot of time and effort and you know a lot of lag. So who already knows the power of storytelling that you can just like immediately slot in yourself into, um, into their process? And the more that we thought about it, I was like, well, actually entrepreneurs who podcast because I'm an entrepreneur who podcast and actually the podcast itself is such a rich, rich basis of content. Instead of even having to prompt people through telling a story, it's like there are already stories there. Yes. So the more that I thought about that, the more that it just made complete sense. And that was really where the next iteration, iteration of Capture that is actually what we kind of see now came about, which is helping entrepreneurs who create audio or video long form content. So whether that's a podcast, whether that's a YouTube video or live, helping them use that content. So they just upload that into Capture and our AI actually does then repurpose it into a whole host of written content marketing. So that's social media captions across all the different platforms. It's emails, it's blog posts, it's LinkedIn articles, identifies sound bites, it identifies quotes. It is like 
all the pieces of content you need apart from like the video part of it at your fingertips. And that's essentially what we ended up creating. And that's where we are now. Just one quick question. When you say except for the video, you mean the shorts? The yeah. 30 yeah. Shorts? Yeah. Yeah, oh, so while we so those. we identify the sound bites, so we can identify here's the timestamp and the actual mm -hmm. like 30 second clip, but we actually don't clip yet. Create the yeah. clip yet. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's how Capture was founded. Yeah. And so that's the um, super long story. Yeah, Capshovians. <laughs> yeah, Capshovians are our users. And how I really identify or how I describe Capshovians is that they are intelligently lazy and hence why our mascot is the sloth is because we're all about how we best be intelligently lazy what does intelligently lazy mean exactly yeah it's kind of like okay so i <laughs> laziness is like it's so counterintuitive to everything that i grew up believing which is so bizarre but what I found was that the more that I prioritized laziness, and I put that in inverted commas because I know lazy laziness can seem like this, you know, you're literally doing nothing. But sometimes that is what you do. Like literally you're doing nothing. For me, like when I get into these modes of like actually doing nothing, it's crazy because my business actually grows. It's that's crazy. That's when the so, ideas pop up as well. Well, that's not, the thing because, yeah. yeah, ideas pop up. You actually focus you force yourself to focus on the the right things, on the things that need to be focused on. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, when I wasn't, like I used to work literally seven days a week, I would be working. And because I had this need to feel productive, you know, like I was like, I need to be productive because otherwise my business isn't going to grow and we're not going to be making any money. And, you know, all these narratives would be going through my head. When I kind of like got burnt out, always how the story goes. Yes. And I forced myself to take time like literally and I would think back to some of the best moments when I was a child and it was literally when I could wake up on the weekend and do nothing it's like such a forgotten memory to me now because I've forgotten what it feels like to do that to think like that where mm. I would just spend literally all day I'm still in my pajamas I'm in bed I literally have not gone out of bed except to maybe go to the bathroom and eat something and I would just be in bed reading because I I love reading that's all I would do. And when I kind of like now for kind of force myself to do that, it meant that I had to be way better with my time. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do all the things that I used to do as in a hustle, which mm -hmm. means that I'm like, okay, I need to prioritize. I need to prioritize my time on really the most important things. So it forced me to focus and it actually did open my mind to your point. It opened my mind up to other things like other possibilities. It meant that when I went for a walk, I was actually engaging with the world around me, you know, just observing things. And just with those observations came totally left field ideas that I could work into back into the business. It was, it was crazy. And so the more that I, you know, did prioritize laziness in a way, uh, like the more that my business grew, but at the same time, we want to be like intelligently lazy because it's easy to be lazy without the systems and the support um, and everything else that you need to build into your business to actually reap the benefits of the laziness. Mm, and have and the so, outcomes you're looking for, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And so that's where the intelligently lazy brand comes from. First time we heard the term and I like it, <laughs> especially because when you talk about productivity, a lot of us fall into that trap of, oh, 
if my calendar looks full and I have to do less for the next 24 hours, I'm going to feel productive. Yes. It's just, you know, what's funny. It is another form of procrastination. What? Yeah. That's what I figured out. I figured out that being productive in that way, definitely for me, and I think for a lot of us, high achievers especially, is just another form of procrastination of not actually getting through to the thing that you know you need to do and is mm-hmm. actually going to get results. But it's it's hard because generally those things are the hardest things for us. So this just feeds your ego, but it's not moving the needle in the direction exactly. of where you want it to go. Yeah. Wow. Now back to the messaging. You wrote a book. It's honey marketing. Honey trap marketing. Yeah, honey trap marketing. Yes. Please tell us about that. Yeah. Well, it basically distills. So I am an absolute marketing nerd. You can probably tell. I mean, we're building a whole software around (laughs) content marketing. Yeah. Basically, honey trap marketing goes into, I call it the traffic pyramid. Um, It's my framework distilling my experiences, but also the experiences of a lot of entrepreneurs around me and how it is that we market online. The traffic pyramid, there's four tiers to it really quickly. It's like, it starts with passive organic marketing, goes into active organic marketing. Passive organic marketing really is just like the process of content creation. And in creating content, it still has to be good content because only good content is going to get cut through. But a lot of times we create this content, we put it out there, we publish it, and then we sit back and we think that it's going to then, you know, in, in quotations, do its thing. And then we get really surprised because it's like, well, nothing's happening, right? This goes back to the story when I first started my podcast and I was like, oh my gosh, what? I have to actually market my content. I have to actually, you know, that's when we go into the you second tier. Why? And this has been my experience too, which is we think because it's so good and I know people need this. Yes. Why are the people who are dancing half naked having 5 million views <laughs> and I have 10 views? My, I should have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like fall into that trap of, yes, good stuff. Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. All the time, all the time. And that's, right. that's kind of why I'm like really intentional then about the second tier of the track pyramid, because that's active organic marketing, which is like, Hey, we've created this content. We've, we've been doing, putting a lot of work into it. Like let's actually have this content working for us. Let's actually have it be found would be a good thing. Like actually reach the audience we wanted to. And that's where the active organic marketing comes into it. It really depends on what the platforms that people want to be on. For me, I'm very intentional right now. I'm like, I'm on two social media platforms. So that's Facebook and LinkedIn. They each have their own different strategies as to how to actually make it work for us. I am imminently in the next few, I say imminently, but it's really going to be in the next two to three months. I'm going to be focusing on YouTube as another platform, but there's a full strategy behind that. So I want to be really intentional and leveraging SEO. So doing blogs, blog posts. So those for me is how I activate my content is like really leveraging the tactics and tools around SEO, all the things that YouTube has to offer. And then also how I can actually work LinkedIn and and Facebook, you know, do the things that they want us to do in a way so that it actually gets in front of people so that's the second tier of the traffic pyramid is to active organic marketing marketing. Mm. the third tier is leveraging other people's audiences um so you know podcasts you know getting guesting on other people's podcasts holding virtual summits um there's a whole range a whole host of ways that you can actually leverage other people's audiences and i loved doing that and then the fourth 
tier, the tip of the pyramid is paid ads. And I would say, quite honestly, you could just hang out in the, the bottom three tiers and just mm-hmm. focus on organic marketing without having to go into paid ads. That's my challenge for Capture. Definitely over the next you know, 12 to 18 months is we are just going to grow organically. That's all we're going to focus on and mm-hmm. then look to scale with paid ads. Right. Now let's go back to the, the social media and the marketing when it comes to that. One of the challenges we have, actually two elephants in the room I picked up, SEO. Mm. What? And then the second one, which we'll come back to later, is when you see, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook, this big word called algorithm. You know mm. how sometimes they will approach and say, the algorithm has changed. Let me help you with your SEO show. SEO algorithm. So what do I do as a podcaster for my show mm. notes, for my social media promos to literally play into the SEO and algorithm changes space? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll try to break this down really like SEO is one of those things that it's, it's feels so overwhelming because it's like sounds so technical, but I try to break it down really simply. And the core of how to have SEO work for you is just to have empathy for your audience. Okay. And what does that mean? What does having empathy for your audience mean? So you mentioned show notes um, and I'm assuming mm-hmm. you mean show notes on like a website, like it's almost blog post style. You've released an episode mm-hmm. and you want to post it on LinkedIn or Facebook. So you want to post it on LinkedIn and Facebook audience so that they know that they need, now need to go to Apple and Spotify and listen to it. This is your latest episode. So okay. you write notes and say, you know, I just had an amazing conversation where John Lee Dumas and go and listen. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, so, that's the social media side. All right. So I'll come back to that. Why don't we just really quickly talk about the SEO side of it? So my sure. process around this is I have a podcast episode. Capture actually, when I upload my episode, creates a title and description. Mm-hmm. The description is also commonly known as show notes as well. It has things like, here's a summary, here's a bio, here's chapter summaries. Like it goes into a ton of things that is important for show notes. There's two ways that show notes are used. One is to put into your hosting platform. So whether that's like Buzzsprout or Podbean or Captivate, whatever hosting platform you use, that's where show notes can live. Show notes can also live on a something that's like a blog post, like a website. So we use PodPage for that. It creates a podcast website. And so creating a podcast website is actually really important because that's where you can actually put some SEO juice into it. What I mean by that is that's how you actually get your podcast found when someone's searching for the topic that you're creating content for. And so basically what I do on the SEO side is why I say have empathy for your audience is because a lot of times we you might hear words like keyword stuffing and things like that, you know, as SEO tactic. I always say when you step back and you go, how do we get people to discover our podcast through the podcast website? It's all about having empathy because in the same way that you want something to be really readable by a human, that's actually what the search engines want as well. So when you think about Google, like they want your stuff to to be readable. And not only that, but the more that you can keep someone on your page or even clicking through to other pages because that you're still keeping them on their platform, essentially, Mm -hmm. the better. And so when you can put links that are linking to other resources that are valuable and still, but still make sense in the topic and theme that you've spoken about, the more that you can actually add images, 
we call it rich media, but images and like video content and stuff on that page as well. Infographics. And by the way, Capture helps with all of this as well, right? Like wow. it will actually, yeah, it does. It actually helps you pull out the content for your, inf- to create your infographics for in Canva. Putting things like that is what is going to help you on the SEO side. So I always go back to, okay, how do I make this really easy and readable and enjoyable for someone to look and read this page? That's what I always focus on from the SEO perspective. So that's on the SEO side. Does that kind of help there? Yes. As you said, empathy for your listener or reader, meaning if they search your topic, then when they find the blog post, it's fine. It's enjoyable to read. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Now on the social media side, um, I'm never going to proclaim to be the expert in all things because I'm just not. So I am very privileged to work with um, someone who I see as a social media expert. Her name's Katie Brinkley. And she actually has a strategy that's called the four post social media strategy. Um, So it's only four posts. Once you get into it, it actually gets to be quite simple. So you start with the awareness post. It goes into an elaboration post, a community post, and then your action post. So let's say in your example, when you were like, we just recorded a podcast and, you know, we want people to to listen to it. I actually just follow that strategy. And what that looks like is the awareness post is different, is going to look different based on the platform. You know, Facebook and LinkedIn are my two platforms. I actually don't post the same post on both because each platform favors different things. So for example, on Facebook, what does well on Facebook for an awareness post is, you know, those like one sentence statements on like a colored background that actually does really well on Facebook. And so I'll do one of those and it might be like an unpopular opinion or like something that's, it's like to cast the net out. Right. And so the more that you can almost be a little bit controversial or something, then the more engagement it actually gets. That's to get the awareness, right? That works pretty well on Facebook. LinkedIn, what works well is a poll. I can use the same theme on both, but different types of content. And then the elaboration post is really then going a little bit deeper into that theme. So that's where I give value. That's where I actually share a a tip or a piece of information that, you know, if it was John Lee Dumas like that he shared on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. then the next post is community, which could be me talking about how I met John Lee Dumas. I'm actually really good friends with his wife, Kate. Like, you know, like, you know, it could be something about that. But the community is really about bringing a little bit more of you as a person into the narrative. Engaging with those who are participating in the post. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And then it just naturally leads into the action post to be like, hey, I've been talking about this theme this whole week. If you actually just want to like listen to our conversation about it, here it is. It's like a build up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you spoke about algorithm. The reason why this this strategy works is because that build up is actually playing to the algorithm because as you know, the more that people engage with your posts, the more that they actually see your posts. And the reason why a lot of those call to action posts don't work is because we don't do that. We don't actually get that engagement and have the algorithms on those platforms working for us first. We just put it out there. We just be like, listen to this podcast episode and no one engages with it. No one does anything with it, which means that more and more your you know, your favor, I guess, in terms of the algorithm just keeps dropping to the point where they just don't surface your content to anyone. And so that's why. So when people scroll, your stuff doesn't pop up at the top. Yeah, Because it hasn't had engagement before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's just to give you a bit of an insight into, you know, I know you mentioned SEO and social media, like that's kind of what we do 
on those sounds and capture actually and capture helps with actually creating all that content for you again intelligently lazy yeah literally does everything for you and then one last thing uh Deirdre, before i let you go so how do you find the entrepreneurs, the consultants, the coaches who have podcasts that you help? So again, I go through the traffic pyramid. That's literally how it's traffic, right? So mm-hmm. I create content that speaks specifically to them. What are some of the things that they might be struggling with? What are some of the things that they want to uplevel in? Who are the types of people that they want to hear from? So, you know, I always start with what's the content that's going to be valuable for that specific person. And then I go where they are. The reason why I focus on LinkedIn and Facebook is someone asked me, like, why aren't I on Instagram? Like when I grew my hospitality business, so like the Chalkpot, Instagram was literally pretty much the only platform that we were on. Um, And that's because food lovers are on Instagram. (laughs) Exactly. They want that food porn, right? They're on Instagram for that. My audience, like they are on Instagram because let's be honest, it's the, like it's 2024, everyone is everywhere. But what are they on on Instagram to do? They're on Instagram to talk about their own thing. They're not on Instagram to consume my information to help them. Like they're on there to promote themselves, which is totally fine. Like that's, that works for them. But they are on LinkedIn and Facebook to consume the type of information that I'm putting out. And so that's why I focus on those platforms. And so that's where I look to activate as well with SEO and, uh, you know, getting discovered through SEO and through YouTube. And then I go into leverage, like the third tier, leveraging other people's audiences. I speak to and I partner with people who have an audience that would make total sense for them to also be my audience, right? Like other entrepreneurs who create content, you know, to answer your question, it's literally just going through the traffic pyramid. I always come back to that. That's how I get in front of and reach my audience day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Any last tips? I saw some of your YouTube videos and you really do share strategies on what to mm-hmm. do about this in your podcast. Any last tips for us podcasters or entrepreneurs who have podcasts to say, these are the things you can share on your, on your YouTube video to add value? Because usually I post, like I'm going to post this interview when this episode is published, right? But Mm. in between those tidbits for five minutes, two minutes, 10 minutes. Mm. Yeah. So in between, like it really depends on the strategy that you want to follow. Um, You know, for me, I actually don't do a lot of short videos yet. Now, as I said, we're about to embark on the YouTube, you know, like really getting into it. And the reason why I say it is because like being intelligently lazy, I made a very conscious decision to be like, Facebook and LinkedIn, that's all we're focused from a social media perspective, not even YouTube. Like we do, we do sometimes publish videos. I think you've, you've seen some of them, but I say we're not really doing it because we haven't been doing it with intention. And I'm all about intention. It's kind of like, yep, if I'm going to commit to a platform, like I want to make sure that we're doing it well in the way that it's the platform wants us to be on there, you know? To be honest, like I actually don't do a lot of those short form videos yet because we had to just build muscle memory. We had to get really good on the platforms that we are on right now. That is my one piece of advice is we all need to focus. It's Mm -hmm. really, really hard. It's so hard to do. And I know this, like firsthand, I know this. I have entrepreneurship ADHD, like every other entrepreneur out there. But it was, again, coming back to being intelligently lazy, right? Like it wasn't until I forced myself to be lazy, which meant I had to force myself to focus on the things that was going to move the dial for me, which meant I had to be really, really intentional about like, okay, 
as a team, we do not have the bandwidth to be on more than two right now because mm-hmm. we're learning, right? Like we, we need to learn how the platform wants us to be on there. We need to learn how to get that engagement up. We need to learn what types of call to actions work on there. We need to learn the, like there's a lot to learn when you're on a particular platform. So we just needed to learn. And now, but we're at the point where we've built that muscle memory, which mm-hmm. means that can kind of like happen because you built the muscle memory, right? Like it just can happen. And now we're ready to then put the next thing on. The next thing on for us is YouTube. And so that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to go, that's going to be like 20% of the time is going to be all about continuing to build that muscle memory. The things that we already know, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook, Mm -hmm. 80% of our time is going to be, okay, we need to build new muscle memory, which takes a lot of effort and a lot of time, but that's the intention that we're going into this with. So focus is Mm. the name of the game. It's the only way you're going to be able to win. Yes. Focused. And it sounds like monitoring and evaluating what works, what doesn't, what do we change, what do we improve on and things like that. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that strategy. One last thing you feel like you wanted to share with our listeners today that I never asked you yet. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Very open question. Um, (laughs) I feel like I've, I've shared a lot. I'm I always have more to share, so I could keep talking for another hour, to be honest. Um, (laughs) um, A question I get asked a lot is like, what is something that I wish I had known or had, if I could go back in time and tell myself something like, and so maybe I'll I'll end on that, which is like Mm -hmm. the thing that I always reflect on and wish that I had done better on you, I guess, before is like, it's okay to take up space. Coming from someone who like, grew up as an introvert um, I was never the one to raise my hand in class I was never the one to offer my opinion in you know in meetings in corporate and things like that because I always thought that well surely if it was a good idea or if it was a good thought or something, like someone else will, will say it you know that was just what was the, then no, I, I'm, I'm not having a surprise face because it sounds new no we've all been through that yeah just, yeah of course yeah. exactly and you know that's why I always go back to it's okay to take up space I wish I had known that and was okay with that, you know, in my younger days. And no matter how old we are, even now I need to keep telling myself that it's okay to take up space. Um, And so that's probably one thing that I would leave people with is just take up space. Take up space. Words of wisdom from Deidre Shen, (laughs) the founder and CEO of Capture, a community of Capturevians, the software that helps you with your podcasting, everything literally (laughs) and she helps coaches and entrepreneurs who have podcasts thank you so much for sharing so much value and strategies that help us today we really appreciate you taking the time to be here yeah thanks so much for having me on my absolute pleasure before you go how would you like anybody who's listening to find you yeah, for sure. If you want to um, have a check out Capshow, then definitely go to freegift.capshow.com. That's freegift, one word, dot C-A-P-S-H-O.com because we have a extended free trial on there plus some amazing bonuses. I go a little bit deeper into some of the strategies that I mentioned around social media um, and things like that. So there's a bunch of training in there as well that you can access. We love free gifts. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Freegift.capshaw.com. Yes. And Capshaw is C-A-P-S-H-O. Yes. 
Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, oh, one, one last thing too, for anyone who um, is looking to be the absolute icon in their industry, as in the go-to person in their industry, which means what I spoke about, like creating content, growing your audience and actually monetizing it. I'm actually partnering with some really, a couple of really great friends, smartest guys in what they do on a free event. Um, so can I share that as well? So that's... Please, please. <laughs> Thank you. Please yeah. bring it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's um, just at www.industryiconlive.com. Um, Industry Icon Live, it's a free five-day event. Um, I'd love for you guys to be there. And I, for one, am going to learn so much. Um, and I cannot wait to also give and have everyone else learn just as much, if not more. Thank you so much. Industryiconlive.com. Yes. When is the event? So that's going to be happening on the 19th. So Feb 19th. Yeah, okay. that would be awesome. February 19th. Industryiconlive.com. We love to learn and because we are all trying to find our way around yes. the online space. So the more that we share, the better for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. My absolute pleasure. As Deirdre mentions in this episode, join the Industry Icon Live event happening next week, starting on the 19th of February to the 23rd of February, midday Eastern time, midday Eastern time. Do not miss out. Get your ticket. It's a free event. So please get your free ticket for the Industry Icon Live event where Deirdre and many other industry icons will be sharing amazing tips, strategies, and tools in order for you to not only grow, but transform your life, your business, and your podcasting business. Thank you for joining the Speaking and Communicating Podcast once again. If you are willing to be on the show to discuss your communication challenges and see how we can help, please book a slot on my Calendly and the details are on the show notes. We are so glad that you've joined us. We have more special guests who will be sharing more leadership tips and strategies on this show in this month of February, in addition to our first couple interview who will be discussing the role that communication has played in their marriage. So stay tuned for more episodes to come.